The broadcast is now starting. All attendees are in listen-only mode. Well, good morning, good afternoon, good evening, wherever you may be. My name is Dan Howlett, co-founder of Diginomica, and we're watching, or you're watching, a discussion about digital transformation, a live session in the IFS Mindfuel series. I'm joined today by Brian Summer, president and founder of TechVentive. Thank you, Brian. A firm that advocates for buyers and the technology innovations that they need for the 21st century. Brian spent half his career at Accenture. We are forgiving him for that. Uh, where he was best known as the global head of competitive intelligence. Also with us today is Michael Luisi, chief customer officer, IFS. Good to see you too as well, Michael. Right, we're scheduled to run 30 minutes, but are flexible. We shall be taking questions at the end, although we may include somewhere it makes sense to do so during this discussion. And apart from this introduction, which is obviously scripted, we are unscripted. We've not rehearsed beyond getting an outline of topic areas, so this should be fun. And for complete um, complete transparency, IFS is a digital media partner, and this is part of our partnership uh, arrangement. Now, finally, if you see me swiveling my head like this, that's because I'm looking at multiple streams and a camera, and not because I'm checking Twitter. So, without further ado, I'll start with Brian, who has written books on the dreaded DT topic. So, Brian, where are we at? And what do you see in the world of digital transformation, especially at this rather interesting time? Off you go, man. All right. Well, um, it is a very interesting time, and I've been sort of pleasantly surprised at how agile, and I hate using that word, but how nimble, let's use that instead, a lot of companies have been. And But to call what a lot of them are doing transformation right now I think is uh, a little bit maybe optimistic. Uh, I think a lot of companies are doing what they absolutely have to do to survive in the short term. Uh, they didn't take time to really go out and shop and get things, you know, and get the best things or really reimagine the processes maybe as well as they should have. For example, I went to a restaurant uh, to go pick up an order to go and they didn't have their website really quite right. And when I drove up to wait in the parking lot to pick up my order, uh, I saw some idiot had parked her Range Rover SUV across the five pickup slots, and they didn't even have a system to notify on your cell phone when it was your turn to go pick up your meal. I'm not, I'm not complaining. I'm just saying that we've seen a lot of catch-as-catch-can kind of, you know, ha um, kind of initiatives, and they're doing the job. They're just not elegant. They're maybe not delivering all the benefits people wanted, and some of that's going to have to get redone once we hit bottom in this particular recession and companies start looking to move up. Uh, again, I applaud the effort. I do think we got some, we've got some cleanup and repair work to do, and a lot of it, frankly, has been incremental as approaches to fixing a changed business model. It's not been as transformative as it really needs to be. It's certainly not been uh, something that provides competitive advantage. It's mostly oriented around providing competitive parity to allow the company to continue to do business. Okay. And yeah, sure. Um Michael, you guys are living this at the moment with customers. Um, what kind of things are you seeing and what kind of things are your customers saying to you? 
Yeah, I think, uh, look, I, th I think, Brian, there's there's a lot of merit in what you're saying. On the other side, I'm also seeing a lot of uh, customers doing it at speed and probably not planning as thoroughly and not being as as complete and strategic in their transformation, but the results they're achieving through this uh, through this uh, very fast and very nimble, uh, to avoid the word agile, uh, transformation approach is, is actually something that, that encourages uh, them to reimagine some of their processes uh, long term. So let me let me let me put that into context. When, when you when you look at uh, at uh, the world out there in the past, transformation was all about competitive advantage, the the top line most of the times. How do I gain market share? How do I increase revenues? And about uh, uh, operational efficiencies. And what we have usually included when we're when we're working with customers on what is what are the dimensions of business value and how do I want to transform? We've always included risk in that as well. But it was always a bit, customers were neglecting it a bit. And, uh, but, but that's a bit unfair because most of the times risk and you handling it in a more nimble and in a more, and in a, in a, in a better way than your competition always provides opportunity. There's a great example of a customer who within two weeks actually changed their process of how they delivered um, um, services, repair and maintenance services. It's a customer called Muntus, an air treatment uh, provider or provider of air treatment uh, solutions. And that customer has, within just a couple of weeks, uh, transformed it to a remote delivery service, which not just deals with the emergency issue they had, which is how do I deliver when I can't go on site, uh, but also actually now they're seeing that this has increased their efficiency. It hasn't because they don't need truck rolls anymore. It has increased customer satisfaction because they are faster. And they have been seeing that that actually they can bet, guess the bet, uh, get the best expert uh, online to help the customer. And that overall now, probably as, as, as a windfall profit will result in them thinking about more transformation coming from that fast and agile reaction that, and that they had. So there's more out there. And some of that, as you said, will be thrown away. But some of that, which everybody had to do fast, will probably lead into more process transformation and, and thorough transformation, uh, which, which, uh, which, is, uh, which is a good thing, I think. So, Michael, I mean, one of the things that I get curious about is whether the uh, global nature of, of the pandemic has created a set of circumstances where customers are going to have to fundamentally rethink. I mean, you just briefly mentioned the business of throwaway, yeah? But I wonder whether, I wonder in one sense whether we're having a global IBM moment. You remember when IBM nearly went bankrupt, right? Um, do you get a sense that that's what, how customers are thinking, or are they simply in reactive mode and scrambling to find the best ways of doing things and clearly having to operate digitally because they can't operate physically? What's the sense there? Well, I think I think many customers uh, are, are preoccupied at the moment with securing their 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 business. Yeah, it's okay. it's about survival, but but on the other side, I see, I see a lot of customers also asking us, how do I build more? And people are talking about resilience, but resilience uh, in a very Darwinistic way is 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 also about how fast am I in adapting to 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 changing circumstances. So people are concerned with how do I build agility or nimbleness or speed of adaptation into my business and into my 
well, first of all, business processes, but how do I get that supported by by technology, by an enterprise architecture that caters for that as well? Okay. Brian, if, what, what do you if think? I could, Go on, jump, yeah, jump in. Yeah. Uh, um, I, I keep seeing this pattern emerging everywhere, uh, whether it's in back office functions or different kinds of companies, but companies are going through three phases. And the first one is, I call it firefighting. That's what a lot of them are doing right now. They're putting out all kinds of fires and in order to satisfy the most, almost like Maslow hierarchy, it needs the basic physiological needs, if you will, of the company, the workforce, everything else. It's about safety, food, uh, whatever, personal um, uh, personal safety, those kind of things. The second level after firefighting is a stability phase where once the economy finally does hit bottom, they need to be able to fix a whole lot of stuff and be preparing for the, if you will, the rebirth of their business and new business models and the like. And then they have to, the third phase is around building for growth. And when they if they're already thinking, a lot of companies are already thinking about the other two phases while they're finishing up some of their firefighting stuff. But when they think about it, they're not planning on bringing back the same old company, the old processes, the old ways of doing business that they did before. And that's where I think you'll see a, uh, a blistering pace of uh, digital transformation work when companies actually have to start building for the growth to come when the economy is clearly going to start to recover. Anyway, those, that's just the, that's the storyline I keep seeing again and again and again uh, with companies and how they're approaching this today. Is it the right storyline? Do you think it's the right approach? I think the smart companies are the ones who are planning I'd rather be planning for growth to come uh, rather than uh, planning for some dismal future going forward. Um, I think they're, they need to find a way to be a prosperous company again. That's no, there's no question about that. And they got to be able to do it without government handouts and everything else. There's no question about that. Well, that may be you true. In America. That, may, that may be yeah. That may be true in in the US. I mean, they're throwing money at us in the UK, left, right, and centre. Quite frankly, um, <laughs> the problem we have is wondering who's going to pay the bill. Probably, probably us lot at the end of it. <laughs> yeah, I'm sure we'll get stuck with it. Yeah. Go on, yeah, Michael. But I, w I would I would tend to agree with Brian. I mean, the smart companies are already thinking about it now, and they're also observing uh, the, the the world around them uh, in in a very in a very uh, uh, detailed fashion. They they're not looking just at markets or not just at at competitors, but they they are looking at what kind of trends are evolving. What can I see from what I'm doing at the moment? What what's changing, and when when I apply when I apply a mindset of of look there's I'm just I'm just going to be the same business again, that that's not going to work because I think some of the companies are just just now changing the rules of the game, in some way shape or form and are are using that time to 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 really disrupt some of the processes and gain an advantage from what is happening at the moment and what is proving to be a well very severe economic crisis. Yeah, so why, that's why that's why I, that's why let's, I call it abnormal. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But, but let's stay on that for just a moment more because uh, I started categorizing 
all the different things that different functional groups have to do in a company. And I took on HR this week and Jenda made, I just told him that I sent a piece into Dishnamk on this, but I was astonished at all the things that HR has to deal with today. Uh, and then when you start laying out what do they have to plan for going forward, the numbers of things that they must plan for are phenomenal. I mean, uh, and not, I mean, the amount of work they're going to have to do is incredible. What's interesting is that the number one market offering that a consulting firm can sell to an HR executive today isn't an implementation or a re-engineering effort or a transformation project. It's actually selling a planning project. It's to help them figure out all the myriad moving pieces they have to deal with and how they're going to structure it. Because they have to deal, they're considering like, how do we reopen and do so while ensuring employee safety? What do we do with employees who you still have to stay home and homeschool their kids because of government mandates. And there are still some lockdown areas they have to deal with. Uh, and I could go on and on. I mean, the, the list of issues they have to deal with and how do they rehire and do they want to rehire the same skills and people they used to have, or do they want to look for a different kind of skill set? All of this requires plans and all those plans are contingent on knowing what the business model the company aspires to have in place as it gets ready to ramp up and grow. I think they're, they know they're going to have to look for a different kind of worker who's more skilled in things, but they're also going to have to reimagine their HR processes are going to be more AI, machine learning, chatbot, and, and, and powerful analytic-driven kind of functions, and that also is going to change how HR has to work. So putting all these plans together is going to be um, that's job one is to figure out what are we going to be when we grow up and start growing as you know out in this new world a new economy that's going to emerge and then how do we put that together in an orderly fashion that's going to be the challenge and I see the same thing in finance and other areas as well they've got they should be planning right now planning for the growth to come Brian, there are two aspects to that. One is technology. We're going to assume that the technology is around even if it's not implemented, okay, just for the moment. <laughs> but the other one is, is, is to my mind, is, is clearly mindset, right? And, and when I think of HR, and I don't, want to, I don't want to disparage these people in particular, but traditionally their roles have been focused on administrative tasks, yeah? This is strategic. Do we have the people there in those roles that can take on these huge problems what do you, what do you see uh, on a good day dennis i think any one of us is probably capable of coming up with like 80 percent of a great idea or solution but uh, we won't get great ideas unless we're willing to to socialize them with others who have more expertise than our own. And I think what a lot of these groups are going to have to do is uh, they're going to have to seek true expertise elsewhere and bring it into the company and to become more cosmopolitan of what is the art of the possible. And if they don't, they're going to just reinvent the same old stuff they had or it's going to be, a, or whatever they come up with, it's going to be terribly suboptimal. Do they have the right skills? I'm not necessarily sure they do. And, um, and I would say that probably of most functional areas because in a lot of companies, the people they have in functional areas are a pencil thin and a mile deep. 
and they know one thing like tax accounting and they know it well, but they don't know anything about how they really ought to re-engineer that function for the future. And I think what we need are a little bit different kind of people who are, um, I think it's a polyglot is the name, someone who, not polygon, excuse me, um, polymath. Uh, polymath, polymath, whatever, you know, that is super quick and curious and learns how to, learns new things and can expand their horizons and skill sets quickly. We're going to need more of those probably in business who are who know how to constantly keep changing and adjusting what it is and, uh, that the business needs today. Brian, I just want to pick up on one thing that you said and address this one to, to Michael, this business of peers talking to peers. Uh, Michael, when I was talking to Darren, your, your CEO, uh, a week or two back, he said something really, really interesting to me. He said that within industry, there are commonalities, a problem at this moment in time. And what he's finding is that C-level people who would otherwise be competitive are more than happy to talk to one another because they need to come to common solutions. Have you seen much of that going on? Yes, absolutely. I mean, you you see you see, the, the problems are very industry specific now. Yeah, you, you've got you've got uh, when you look at manufacturing, you've you've got uh, the trouble. Uh, Everything around supply chain resilience. How, how do I adapt my supply chains fast? I've got the other uh, the other uh, uh, topics around how how do I cope with less staff on the shop floor, for example, so social distancing and so on. What what kind of what kind of transformation? But also, how, what what's the world outside going to look like uh, in a few uh, in a few weeks, months, or, or years from now? So you see a lot of those customers working with each other and exchanging what they are seeing out there. I don't. I don't think it's so much that they are uh, sharing their solution with each other to the problem, but I think the problem statement, understanding, and and figuring out where where everything is going. There's a lot of exchange going on, absolutely. And uh, different different industries have very specific problems. Telcos very different problems to actually not so many problems other than keeping the lights on and servicing customers. Yeah, but airlines very different problem. Oil and gas very different problem. Uh, problem many many crises coming together, and they are exchanging a lot. And and that's that's what I'm seeing when I'm speaking to the into the various leaders there. Okay, back to you, Brian, because uh, I know that you have a, a a thing about this. In the in the pre-COVID days, we didn't have too many. Well, we did. We had we had plenty of discussions about whether your your systems record ought to be on prem or in the cloud, and uh, I, I, the impression I've gotten well, it's a matter of fact, isn't it? If you're running on prem and trying to run data centers at the moment, and you need people actually sitting at desks doing stuff, you, you kind of got a problem. Whereas those who who are already cloud native or digital native seem to have done rather better, even if they have. <laughs> Um, industry-specific problems. Uh, true or false? Oh, pile of truth in that. I heard a record four software CEOs in a row were describing how um, there never was an issue with their customers who were running cloud apps because they could uh, they were already, if you will, doing the work from home because they had that transportability. Anywhere where they had a web connection, they could 
get into their systems. The fact mm -hmm. that these were multi-tenant vendors also was nice because the customer doesn't have to patch, maintain, support, or otherwise handhold those applications either. The mm -hmm. vendor does that for them. Mm -hmm. So yeah, if you're patching maintenance, all that kind of stuff had to be done on-premise with an on-premise solution, that day and age, or that ship, I think, kind of sailed uh, right out the door with, that, uh, with this pandemic. But there's another little twist on this. I think it's kind of interesting. Um, these guys uh, have also learned that um, it's so clunky to do that other kind of technology, and yet they can't get the kind of value out of those systems that they want, particularly out of the people that are working on them. When the when the crunch came, they needed to take IT people and have them work on more strategic short-term firefighting things like building new uh, systems to capture people's temperature and record that in the HR system. Well, they didn't have them um, if they had on-premise things that had to be patched to maintain. It was not the best use of IT people to keep dealing with these technical debt-driven kind of old boat anchors when you need them to be moved over and moved around to the latest fire that has to be put out. Yeah, so, but it's but, yeah, it's, I, but it's not I, slam dunk, though, is it, Brian? I mean, you know, I, I think about the call centers for telcos and energy utilities, for example, particularly those operating offshore. Mm -hmm. yeah? um, all of a sudden, they had, in a number of cases, they had thousands of people who had, who had to work from home, yeah, often with poor internet connections and no laptop. I mean, I know, I know the, Correct. I know the CXO, CIO, sorry, of of one major global bank who, over a, I think it was a ten day period, had to had to source nine thousand laptops. Yeah, now how the hell do you do that mm -hmm. and distribute them? In a place like India or Vietnam or one of those other places, I mean, it's it's a nightmare. Yeah, I would. Uh, on a more humorous note, I had a phone call. I had to place with a customer service rep in the Philippines, and she had a she was working on her front porch now, and there was a rooster on there that just kept crowing all through my support call. Uh, it made for probably the most interesting customer support call I ever did. Um, but yeah, that that those kind of problems. Uh, the laptop shortage is very real. Google had a real problem with that. One of Plex's customers was in the middle of an implementation, and uh, this, the CEO of Plex actually got his team to salvage or cannibalize about 50 laptops and send them to the client so they could finish their implementation. So, yeah, we I know that. You're right about that, and frankly, there was a published report I saw about how work from home didn't go well at all in Japan because it turns out a lot of uh, broadband connections to homes don't exist in that country. So it's it you know it's an uneven kind of deal the way it went it worked its way around the world. And there's no question about that. The most important question, though, Brian, uh, is did did the rooster provide you with a great answer? <laughs> I got I got past the problem, yes, and it involved my good old laptop right here that I'm, I've got on my desk in front of me. Yes, it got me through. Okay, Michael, what kind of what kind of anecdotes have you got in this area? Because uh, you know, I mean, we could have a great deal of fun with these, couldn't we? Well, look, uh, I mean, there's 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 uh, loads of things. I mean, when, whenever you've got a call, you've got people walking in on uh, on them. You've got uh, noises outside. People telling me that actually here in my home office, when I've got the window open, when we've got good weather, 
that uh, the birds are extremely noisy. So, so you've got you've got many many anecdotes, but uh, I, th I think the more pertinent problem is 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 really how we get out of this again, and, sure. and what companies are doing to 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 weather the storm next time around. And and Brian Cloud is obviously one topic, accessibility, and I, I would call it probably accessibility from everywhere. Yeah, uh, to to whatever you need to do is 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 an absolute must, and and those those topics are are quite quite uh, quite pertinent at the moment. Yeah. So I'm going to put you in the hot seat on this one, then, um, Michael. When when a customer who's they're all in distress in one way or another call, calls you up, or you call them, give me the top three things that you're going to tell them as as good advice that they can act on. Well, I, th I think I think the first advice, probably, and and this is not digital transformation, but the first advice at the moment is really to see how how can I survive in this in this storm. Yeah, it's it's short term emergency planning, and there's there's things we can do with technology, and there are things that that actually can't uh, can't be done with technology, and uh, that that involve just mere process transformation, cash preservation. How how do I get through the storm? But the most important one is really when I'm done doing that I need I need to see how I build in agility nimbleness into my business model into my enterprise architecture and I need to plan for the next storm that is around the corner because quite frankly we, we could have seen this one coming it was out there 20 years ago uh, as a pandemic or or a coming pandemic and uh, we should have we should have been able to plan for that if we if we would have taken it seriously and building in agility to be able to react to such situations uh, and to 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 take risk to take a risk perspective when you are actually looking at your digital transformation as well how can i be better at managing risk than my competition will give me a huge competitive edge once that risk strikes because i'll get and get out of it at, at the other side in in a in a much better fashion than 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 my competition, and I'm going to be ready to actually take market share. So, agility, thinking about enterprise architecture, also thinking about your your IT and your IT vendor relationships, and looking at is your is your relationship such that it's mostly a lock-in situation, or is your relationship and your partnership with any vendor, uh, such that they actually enable you to be agile, to to integrate well into the rest of the ecosystem, and and that that is something that I think yeah, I would advise. Top three advices is really recon uh, survive first, uh, then actually build in agility and reconsider your partnerships and your your uh, your uh, uh, relationships that actually and with a view to enabling that agility nimbleness and and uh, and getting out of crisis is uh, crisis much much faster okay brian do please tell give us give us your definition of partnership for the purposes of of this kind of exercise um <laughs> you're hesitating <laughs> i think i I was actually thinking about Michael's points, and uh, when you asked that question, uh, but uh, I think I think companies really, really, really need to think twice about who are their best partners. It's not. I'm not sure it's necessarily the the um, the technology 
provider or the service provider that helped you implement a solution 20 or 30 years ago and has maybe held, held your hand using that uh, ever, ever since. Um, you know, those that got you that far may not be the ones who can take you to the next wave and the next stage. And so uh, don't be afraid to seek true love elsewhere. Um, the best firms, I think, are they're looking for help from people who understand the problems that a company has gotten itself into. Uh, you know, what we haven't really talked about is where are you going to do some of the most important transformational stuff? And I think uh, the first thing companies have to realize is we screwed up here. We did not plan correctly. We did not plan for, we didn't have any signal markers out there to notice what was coming up to Michael's point. And uh, we also were had highly vulnerable supply chains and we over-concentrated too much of our supply in maybe a key country or with one critical supplier. And the first thing companies have to do is figure out what are the mistakes we made in the past and then make sure we never make those mistakes again and then go find the people that can help them solve those problems. Uh, now, um, I think there's a lot of firms out there that are hanging up shingles. They're going to be helping firms with post-COVID kind of capabilities, but I'm not sure all of them are really going to be all that great because uh, they're some of them are learning just like others are, but they're not necessarily experts in virology, epidemiology, whatever. Uh, if that's what you're focused on is safety issues, you need to get the people that really understand that stuff. I'm not sure going to some uh, run-of-the-mill systems integrator necessarily is going to get you that kind of capability. So um, shop carefully, shop wisely. Yeah, but they will, they will all claim expertise, won't they? That's the first thing they do. Oh, yeah, I've even seen some industry analysts trying to reposition themselves as, uh, you know, COVID experts. And I'm like, where's your medical degree, buddy? And um, it's not there. Yeah. I don't I don't opine on that. That's not my that's not my thing. Yeah. So, sounds a little bit like the um, person who told me that they could learn accounting in a weekend and therefore implement a large system. I said, oh, that, that must mean that the three years I spent learning how to ride that bank was completely, bike was completely wasted then, was it? <clears throat> but hey. <laughs> uh, they can't master your ability to work the abacus, uh, Dan, that's for sure. Um, anyway, <laughs> in the T account. So. Uh, I, was, I, was, I was so grateful when um, calculators came, came along the scene because my math skills were rubbish, to be perfectly honest. Um, we digress. So, give us your top three things, Brian. You you said that you know we have to have this sort of uh, period of reflection, um, as long as we don't end up in a period of navel gazing, right? But um, what are, yeah, but what are the what are the top three things in your mind that people should actually do rather than pontificate about? We can all do that, right? Yeah, first thing you need to do is become more aware and to become very cosmopolitan. And that was one of the points I had in a book, that book I did. Uh, I'm not plugging it, I'm just factually stating something. That one of the biggest problems a lot of folks have is they haven't been out of the office in a long time and they don't know what is the art of the possible out there. And they need to take the time to figure out what, what these new technologies can do, how I could 
uh, or one of the possible ways I could radically rework a process. And only then are they really in shape to start figuring out this is what I want to do and here's the kind of uh, technology and the help I'm going to need to make it happen. But they need to, you know, once the firefighting gets under control, they need to take the time to figure out what is the art of the possible. That would be my number one thing I would recommend they do. One of the risks I, I'm seeing, and, you know, I get a lot of questions on this, is they say, well, you know, we're going to bounce back. Really? And just how do you think that's going to happen? And because the implication from the way those kinds of questions are framed, at least to me, is that we're going to return back to where we were. I don't know anybody who thinks that, not seriously anyway, right? And so I'm, what, I'm, what I'm seeing are people thinking about different ways of, of returning to... <laughs> <laughs> it's that shows just how traumatic the change can be. Uh, <laughs> my green switch that's how you know this is live yeah uh, yeah, 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 yeah. We, 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 i just knew something would happen i just didn't know what it was that's all <laughs> <laughs> but to return to my point brian okay you know it, it, one of the concerns that i have is, is that people assume that okay we're in this temporary period yes it's painful in one thing and another but there will come a point in time when we will simply snap back to whatever uh, whatever was there in the past now i don't see anybody talking about that seriously, although plenty of people trying to think that way. To my mind, that represents probably, at least for me, the, the, the biggest danger in trying to think forward uh, at the moment. I, I don't know if you would agree with that or not. Do you, do you think that legacy thinking is, is probably the biggest uh, barrier to success going forward or somewhere else? I think that, I think that nostalgia is not a strategy. Yeah, there's your yeah. bumper sticker phrase for the for the for our call. Uh, that's number, and I think anybody who I think it's a natural human thing for us to want to yearn back to a safer, comfortable, known in time, but that isn't real. That isn't going to happen. It's like uh, you know. We all had a pair of shoes that were broken, very comfortable, and everything else. But at some point, we got holes in the soles, and we needed to get a new pair. And folks need to get a new way of doing things that aligns with the way business, the business world has changed. I, I'm going to give you one example. That's you know maybe this is a U.S. deal, but um, uh, several grocery chains, pharmacy uh, chains, and um, hospital chains hired away tens of thousands, if not millions of people out of the hospitality industry and brought them into their firms. And a lot of them are going to stay there. So any anyone who's in like the restaurant business thinks they can just go back to the old way of doing things with their same old workforce. They're in for rude shock that somewhere between uh, 50% of, or more or 50% of their workforce may not return because they've found a, a better gig somewhere else. And when you look at it that way, now you've got to decide like, wow, where am I going to get the talent? And I think a lot of folks are finding out that uh, the folks we used to have aren't going to be available and what are we going to do about it? And that's a big problem. That'll stop them from, that'll be the hard slap in the face, I guess, of reality the old world is going to come back again. That's that's really interesting, that Brian, because um, uh, I got a, an email from a, a small restaurant chain, um, 
that I subscribe to because I like eating there. And um, they sent me an email saying what they're going to do when they reopen because they do have a date to reopen. And this was a huge, long document about, you know, they're not going to have people at the bar, for example. They're not going to have hand-operated hand doors. They're going to have sanitizers everywhere. A, a, a long, long list of changes that they're making, which I thought was incredibly impressive because they clearly thought through the whole thing. And they're trying to do it in such a way that they can still make you feel as though you're having a restaurant experience. Now, I've no idea if this will work, but I was impressed at the level of thought that had gone into it. Um, uh, so anyway, um, Michael, uh, what's your thoughts on this t this little topic? Um, look, if it, I mean, first of all, the world's going to go somewhere, but I'm, I'm not sure it's going to go where where it was before. Yeah, and uh, and uh, they, I, I fully agree. I, I think I think looking at uh, we are going back to where we were is probably one of the biggest dangers. And give you a few examples, yeah, because your competitors in any industry are going to be looking at changing something right now. So, for example, in the construction industry, you see a lot of companies because they're forced now. Yeah, they, they've got m less workers on site. They, they are thinking about is, is modular construction, for example, a much better way? And will that now actually, actually um, um, increase the speed with which I have to actually think about moving to a modular uh, modular I manufacture a lot of parts off-site and then actually rather assemble on-site with much less workers on-site. So many are thinking about that. I'm seeing that in Japan with, with where it's actually rooted in the idea of modular construction where they are a lot farther and they've got plans coming into Europe now because they are seeing that there's more acceptance. Same is true for digital or remote service delivery models, even with end consumers. So if you if you are there's a large uh, telco telco company in 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 the US that is doing that so so if you are if you are an, uh, um, uh, a customer of those uh, of them and you you have a problem they will with merge reality guide you to to actually see what you what they see on the screen they will help you actually fix your problem on site faster response Actually, actually, you get you get an appointment. You get somebody who's capable to solve your problem, and if it's not right there, they can get him online. So it's 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 changing business models big time. And uh, and if I'm just going back to what I, what it was before, now don't think about how how actually this whole pandemic has changed perspectives in many many ways. Be it B two B, be it B two C, and consumers and customers, uh, then then I'm making a huge mistake, and I'm in for a really rough ride after after the pandemic is over and all my competitors are just passing by. Okay, so digital transformation sounds risky, Brian. Um, does the sensible company take baby steps or throw the dice and go for a completely different business model? What do you think? Hey. Uh, look, I, I think different business models are going to be almost competitively mandated onto companies. I don't think it's a, it's may not just be a choice that you decide to get in one or not. It may be something that's almost thrust upon you. Uh, is it risky? No, yeah, but every decision in business entails some measure of risk. I think the, the question is, um, uh, 
if you're looking for me to say you should do the same thing that your competitors are doing, well, guess what? You'll, you know, stasis is not going to get you much. You'll spend a lot of money and you're just running in place. You've got to be able to strike out, find a new way to do things and find a white space out there on the market that's going to give you a, um, it's going to give you the margins and the competitive runway that's going to make you a success. So now I, I don't necessarily see it as overly risky as long as you just do your homework on it. Okay. Michael, here's a question for, for you. If, it, if, it's, if agility is something you don't execute well right now, how do you kickstart your ability to react quickly? Okay, so if I understand it correctly, uh, then then uh, I, th I, th I think, <laughs> first of all, I need to think about the world around myself uh, very differently than I did before if I did a poor job at executing on, on agility. Mm. And uh, what I mean by that is I, I, need to, I need to take the outside world and actually look at is my enterprise as such, both in terms of mindset, but also in terms of processes and in terms of uh, enterprise architecture, ready to react fast and agile and and whenever i've got a a project i shouldn't just be thinking about the revenue i can i can actually uh, take from it or the operational efficiencies when when i'm looking at supply chain that that brian referred to everybody really being very very thin in their supply chain and and very exposed which might be very efficient unless something happens to that supply chain yeah so 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 that whole mindset i think is is much more important important than any technology and thinking about it from that end and then talking about how do I have to change my processes, what talent do I need, and also what technology do I need to support that and how need, does it need to play with each other uh, is, is, is probably the best approach. Looking at it, uh, taking it into account whenever I do anything in my business, taking agility uh, to uh, or making agility one of the par uh, parameters uh, that I'm that I'm that I'm measuring my plans with. Okay, Brian, because I'm going to wrap this up in a in a couple of moments. What's been the most surprising, potentially off the wall thing that you've heard um, during this period that's made you think, "Wow, that sounds crazy," but actually, it's a really good idea. Wow. The one that the most crazy thing I heard about today, I love drinking Dr. Pepper, and I found out that there is a shortage of carbonation uh, capability in this country, as well as uh, artificial sweetener. And that just uh, not that I care about the latter, but uh, it broke my heart because I'll miss Dr. Pepper. It's getting so scarce now. Uh, craziest thing. Excuse me, Brian. I thought. Excuse me, Brian. I thought there was a surfeit of gas in your country, for God's sake. Uh, <laughs> yeah, well, I I think probably the craziest thing is uh, seeing some of the interdependencies uh, going on. We've seen like uh, there was a point where gasoline prices went whipsawed so bad, or oil prices that we had negative pricing for yeah. oil futures has come back up. Uh, but uh, and we've seen the same kind of whipsaw kind of actions going on on uh, Wall Street. But the thing that got me was watching how much energy finance or organizations were spending trying to 
keep the company out of trouble and and in some interesting ways like some of them took loans from the government that could be forgiven and they're they're spending a lot of energy trying to document their case on how they can get that loan forgiven which is material number two they have a lot of loan covenants that they use to borrow money to buy capital assets and when value of used cars plummeted because nobody's driving anymore. Uh, well, that caused uh, a lot of these companies with big lease fleets to be upside down on their loan covenants because the value of their assets, the cars, uh, fell so dramatically and they had huge capital calls hit them. And I could go on and on. I mean, there's just, it's a cascade of weirdness that's been going on uh, that has left a lot of organizational units scrambling. And every time I think like, well, nothing could be really exciting or interesting over in something as more of an, say, accounts payable, I find out, oh, no, no, no. Our CFO mandated we won't pay any bills for six months or a hundred or 360 days now in some, in some cases and the heartburn it creates you know from some of those short-term decisions is uh is surprising to me so there's a lot of these little things going on right now that make make for big problems all over the place okay michael same question to you but and you get the final word brian's been talking a lot Okay, so, so that, I, I, I think I think that's what analysts do, right? We talk a lot. <laughs> <laughs> that's fine for me. So um, I, th I, th I think the crazy the crazy things are really are really around. Uh, I mean, how how you see whole air, whole industries go down. Yeah, and and being completely grounded, like airlines, for example. I mean, that's that's a lot of craziness you see in there. But then actually, the glimmer of hope is when when you talk to some of them. Uh, they are already planning for the future, not for the same future as as uh, as as it was in the past. But they they are already planning for it, and some of them even to an extent where they're saying, "Look, you need to come in now, and we need we need to use the time where we've got seventy uh, percent of our people still, but actually only fifteen percent of our fleet up in the air. We need to take the time now uh, to to actually plan how we're changing things and how we are uh, uh, preparing for coming back online." And that, that is, I think, the encouraging part of the whole craziness that, that we're seeing out there at the moment. Yeah. So, and uh, other than that, the same as, as Brian said, with CFOs being, become, becoming, uh, becoming extremely strict and uh, creating a lot of problems in the financing. So, so I, th I think if I can leave everybody, everybody on this call really with uh, something, I think plan for something that 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 your industry will be in for and and watch the markers out there watch watch the the uh, the the trends and uh, build for agility really well on that one michael i'm i i'm going to end up with the last word on this one as it turns out because i do hope the airlines come back because i've got a little piece of something waiting in sydney airport that's been sat there since June the 2nd with no idea when it's ever going to get out, right? So if they've got plans, I'd really like to hear, hear from them. <laughs> okay, I'll put you in touch with them. <laughs> okay, everybody, thanks everybody who's uh, joined us today. Um, if you have further questions, I'm sure we'll find a way of being able to answer them. And on that, stay safe, do well, keep planning. Thanks very much, everybody. Thank you, everyone.